In this episode, I will be talking about new music from Mark with a C, old music from Neil Young, and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power! There's going to be a lot of spoilers in the Lord of the Rings section if you haven't watched it yet and you think you're going to and you don't want to be spoiled on virtually everything, then maybe look at the time index on whatever you're listening to this on and skip that section. I'm going to be talking about everything. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting episode. Uh, maybe the spoilers will save you time if you think some of the stuff that I say is dumb, but uh, that's going to happen. Extensive spoilers on a relatively new thing. I told you right in the intro. All that said, I'm your host, Eric Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hello, Checkmates. It's your old Uncle Derek coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. As always, hope you're doing okay out there. Sorry it's been a little bit between episodes. Things have been busy for me, as I'm sure they're busy for most of you going into the holiday season here. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just kind of been, it's kind of been frantic <laughs> in my life lately and doing stuff and whatnot. Uh, but we're going to get an episode in here and it'll, it'll be a, it'll be a good one. I'm going to yell at you about the Lord of the Rings for like a while, I think. Because uh, I was talking to somebody about the the Rings of Power show, uh, and I think I un- uninterrupted just talked for a half hour before they said, "Yeah," and went about their business. So like that's that's likely to happen <laughs> here on the show too. This might end up being a long one, even though I've got very little scheduled to actually talk about. But uh yeah I, I think it's gonna be good i'm i'm looking forward to spending this time sitting here kind of talking with you and just kind of going through uh whatever we go through on the show <laughs> it's kind of uh uh it's kind of a multiple choice a lot of the time isn't it um i need to uh well i, I should tell you usually when these episodes are happening i end up apologizing a lot for my cats running around and making noise in the background they are presently napping like two sweet little baby angels that's uh angels uh who are babies who have died and were immediately promoted to angels as babies often are uh they are sleeping as though they're two sweet little baby angels uh hopefully neither of them will ever be a baby angel i guess they can't be they're one year old now so they're 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 grown-ups they're adults they're on adult food but they're they're sleeping very peacefully and soundly and sweetly and uh, I don't. I, I might actually get away with this episode without having to say, "Oh, that's the, the cats wrestling in the background." But still want to acknowledge their existence. And uh, yeah, so they're they're around, but they're it's it's sleepy time right now. So we're gonna get an episode done, hopefully done while they're sleeping. Uh, but they're they're around and they're sweet boys. Uh, I think the last time I talked to you, I was talking about how I'm making stuff on a loom now, how I'm weaving. And uh, I think I was just making scarves at that point. I'm now making hats as well, kind of knit hats. And I just want to say that that's a lot of fun, and I'm enjoying doing that. It it takes less time than a scarf and is uh, uh, just as much fun. Uh, I'm also trying to make a blanket. I bought an Afghan loom, and I'm trying to make a blanket. And it's really hard, and I think I hate it. But I'm going to make this blanket, and it's not going to be a very good blanket. I'm using too thin of a yarn. But, um, you know, 
it's an experiment. We'll we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll get better at it. Make a decent blanket one of these days. That's uh, that's what's going on with me and the and the looming, the weaving, the weaving. Uh, I've I've you know people have seen some of my stuff and complimented it and been nice about it. I've had more than one person suggest that I should make like a tag to sew onto there so that it's like something you're know, marking that it was made by me. Uh, which, you know, Scars by Derek? Who knows? Don't know. Uh, the, the thing that I've come up with is, you might not know this. I don't know if I've ever said this on the show ever. Uh, a nickname that I have is Wayne. Uh, there's no story to that. My middle name is not Wayne. My middle name is Lee. Uh, the story to that is so simple that it sounds like I'm just making it up. Uh, one day, this was in my early 20s, I think. One day, I was getting into my brother's car, and he looked over at me and said, From now on, I'm going to call you Wayne. And I said, Why? And he says, You look like a Wayne. And it just kind of stuck. And there are people in my life who know me only as Wayne. So, uh, uh, that is a thing. So, I'm thinking maybe with the scarves and the hats and stuff, Wayne's weavings? Maybe? Don't know. Probably not going to sell them. Doesn't matter anyway. Just having fun doing it. But, yeah, yeah I like naming stuff. I have a podcast because I like naming stuff, and I came up with empty checking. So here we are. We've got a we've got a podcast about how I spend too much money. That's uh, that's what this is. That's because I like naming stuff. So maybe Wayne's Weavings is a thing. Don't really know for sure yet. We'll find out together. Maybe. So there's your update on my looming. Oh dear, Jonko apparently heard me talking, and it roused him, and he is now. Fighting with my vertical blinds, I guess. All right, sorry. There's gonna be cat noise. That's it. It, it is what it is. There's cat noise. Also, I just moved a, a stool with my foot by accident. So you probably heard that in the background too. Not a uh, not the most professional show. Not the most professional show. But it's 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 a show, and we're gonna do it. Uh, I do have something that's a little bit uh, sad that I've got to talk about up top, or that I'm gonna talk about up top. I guess I don't have to. It's my show. I can talk about whatever I want to, but I, I, I guess I want to talk about this. Uh, in drawing up the outline for this show, and yes, unbelievably, there is an outline for this show. Uh, in drawing up the outline for this show, uh, there's also now a loud plane going overhead. This is not the best time for this. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, when I wrote my very loose outline for the show, I wrote down the... What's the word? Acronym, I guess? R.I.P. Rest in Peace. And three names followed. And I thought, wow, three names, that's a show in itself. But I don't want to... I don't want to spend that much time on it. And uh, I maybe I'll just do it in the intro. Because the intro is kind of a catch-all for whatever's going on, whatever I don't want to do a full segment on. And maybe we'll just do a quick segment here to say rest in peace to a couple of personalities that are, you know, known pop culture personalities... Uh, and I, I actually, I even feel like I might be missing one, but we're gonna, we're gonna just touch on the three that come to mind, uh, and we'll try to keep this brief, but we're gonna, we're gonna do it. Uh, rest in peace. This is the rest in peace section, I guess. We'll mark that on the time code. Rest in peace at seven minutes thirty. The first one that I kind of have to talk about is uh, Bob McGrath. Which, if you don't recognize that name, you do, you just don't know it. Uh, Bob McGrath, known as Bob from Sesame Street. Uh, you, you know, classic Smiley Bob on Sesame Street. Bob, singing Bob on Sesame Street. Uh, Bob McGrath passed away a little bit over a week ago, I think, as I'm, as I'm recording this episode. And uh, that, 
honestly one of those losses that if you had told me how sad I was going to be about it, I would have been surprised because I don't, I don't know that I'd thought about Bob in, I mean, decades maybe because I'm in my forties and you know time moves on and everything and I, uh, I mean. I, I, I don't mean this in any kind of cold way. I don't know that I was aware that he was actually still with us up until he, he departed in the, in the last week or so. And uh, But I, I, I heard the news or read the news online like everybody else and just kind of went, oh, that's, that makes me sadder than I would have thought, you know? And, like, cause I, I don't know the guy. I never met him or anything like that. I actually, it turns out I know a bunch of people who have met him at various events and... Apparently, he's always just been 100, 100% Bob, you know, and is exactly what you wanted if you, if you were going to meet him. And that's always lovely to hear. But just that's just a guy who, you know, I kind of grew up with, you know, in the, in the TV way. Like, I, I, I've said to a couple people and in a couple of places that I, before I even knew who Mr. Rogers was, Bob on Sesame Street was teaching me that there are some people out there who are just unproblematically kind and it's sad that we've lost one of those people, you know? Uh, he just seemed like such a good guy and such an entertaining guy. And even on the show, he talked to children in a way that didn't make make it feel like he was talking down to children. Because so often adults do that. Like, I remember being a kid and being in conversations with adults who were putting on their really happy voice and talking to you like that. And just thinking, I... I don't know how to verbalize this to you, but I know more than than you think I do, and I'm I'm smarter than you think I am, and I'm I like you're not gonna lose me by talking like an adult, you know, <laughs> which is one of those things that with like my nieces and nephew, I've always tried to talk to them as as though they're grown ups, like even when they were babies, I didn't do baby talk or anything like that. I talked to them like they were adults. I mean, you know, some some simpler wordings maybe, and certainly avoiding certain words. But, uh, you know, I'd talk to them basically the way I'm talking to you right now. It's how I would talk to my nieces and nephew when they were little. And even now as they're, you know, kind of teenagers and whatnot. That's, it's just, that's, I, I, kids are smarter than you think they are. And I think one of the ways that I learned that lesson and one of the ways that I kind of thought, kind of developed my approach to, oh, I'm just going to talk to them like they're normal people, is by watching guys like Bob McGrath on Sesame Street and going, oh, that's how you do it, you know? <laughs> and just kind of being, you know, being a person to a person. It just it, just because they're a small person who hasn't been alive as long, that doesn't make them less of a person. And Bob did a great job with that. He also had a really interesting singing career. Had a, <laughs> You know, had uh, uh, the Bob Sings album. Like everybody, when I was a kid, kids now might not know this, but when I was a kid... The Sesame Street show had a bunch of albums out there, like vinyl records. Of uh, some of it was skits, but a lot of it was their uh, their personalities singing songs. And the Bob Sings album is remarkable uh, in that one, it's really good, but it's also really weird. It's just a bananas playlist. Uh, like he, he sings Muskrat Love on it for some reason on a on an album aimed at children. He sings Muskrat Love. Uh, and, like, Good Morning Starshine is there. That makes a little bit of sense. Like, Idlevice. He does Idlevice. He does a Sunshine medley of You Are My Sunshine, Sunshine on My Shoulders, and You Are the Sunshine of My Life, which is really good. Uh, but also two different Stevie Wonder songs, which I kind of didn't realize until I, I posted something about Bob passing away on Facebook. 
and my friend Kim, hi Kim, if you're a fan of the show, I don't know, if you are, let me know. Uh, my friend Kim commented on it that she didn't know that Sir Duke was a, a, a Stevie Wonder song, she knew it as a Bob Sings song. And I kind of thought about it for a second, and I replied to her and said, I think I have exactly the same experience with Isn't She Lovely, which is also on Bob Sings. And she's like, were, were he and Stevie friends? What's the deal with this? And I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not sure I want to know the answer to that. I think I just want to believe that Bob McGrath was a huge Stevie Wonder fan and wanted to do a bunch of his stuff. And also Muskrat Love. Like, Muskrat Love's his go-to karaoke track. And he's like, no, I, I, if we're going to do an album, I'm doing Muskrat Love. But I, I, it, it's, it's such an odd album. But all of us had it, and all of us loved it. And all of us, that's the first time we heard those songs as kids, you know? And again, he was just one of those guys that was, for his entire lifetime, completely unproblematic, completely kind, and just made kids feel good, you know? And I hope that, I hope that we kids made him feel good too, you know? So my heart was a little bit heavy hearing that Bob McGrath had left us, and I think of the personalities that I'm going to be talking about here, this is the longest I'm going to talk about any of them, but Bob it just meant a lot to me as a kid, and I didn't realize how much the world needs more Bob McGraths now that I'm an adult until he was kind of gone. So maybe go out there and be Bob for somebody. So rest in peace, Bob McGrath. I hope you had peace at the end, and I certainly hope you have it now and believe that you do. Uh, a couple other rest in pieces that I'm going to touch on here. Uh, Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac passed away, which, by the way, as I keep talking, I've noticed as I've been talking about her, my uh, dumb mouth keeps slipping back and forth between Christine and Christy, and uh, I do know which one is correct, and so do you. You don't have to correct me in the in the email or comments on whatever app you use to listen to the show that I don't use and don't read the comments on. I, 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 if I'm wrong, I'll hear it back, and I'll know I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, my mouth is dumb. I, I can't talk. I can't form words and names correctly. So, of course, I have a podcast. Uh, Christine McVie uh, passed away, and I that one, I was also surprised by how much that moved me, because I just, I'm not... I'm not the world's biggest Fleetwood Mac fan, but I like them, and I've got the albums that you're supposed to have, and I've got them on vinyl, and uh, uh, it was just kind of... The, this isn't the right way to talk about it right now, this isn't the right reaction to have to someone passing away, but in the Fleetwood Mac conversation, eventually you get to, well, who do you prefer, you know, McVie or Stevie Nicks? And I, I, I prefer Christine McVie. Uh, I, I think she was, I mean, no offense to Stevie Nicks, Stevie Nicks has done a lot of stuff that I really love too, both with that band and outside of it, but, uh, I just, I, I just like Christine, I mean, she wrote The Chain, Christine McVie wrote The Chain, maybe the best Fleetwood Mac song outside of Oh Well, before they were, you know, when they were a completely different, like, weird blues band for a little while, uh, but uh, she was just involved with so much of... Fleetwood's best songs, and I mean, you know, if you're gonna have the argument, the the point that I always make is, well, the band wasn't called Fleetwood Nicks, you know? There was Buckingham Nicks, but we all know kind of how that ended for Lindsey Buckingham, too. Which, by the way, I'm on Lindsey Buckingham's side and all of that, but, uh, you know, it's I, I, I just, I really liked Christine McVie, and she had some great songs, and was foundational to the band, but also somehow underrated, and I just... I, I don't know, I always pull for that person in the band, and she was 
my favorite in the band, and I'm you know sorry that she's gone, and uh, I just wanted to say that. So uh, now I have. And there's one more rest in peace that I kind of have to get out there that this one's awkward for me. Uh, doesn't uh, I? Because this is a personality with whom I have strongly disagreed in the last several years and with whom I had a negative interaction on social media, which is not findable. It's been deleted. Uh, but I, I also really appreciated her performance in Cheers and in the Star Trek movies and in the Look Who's Talking movies. I'm, of course, talking about Kirstie Alley. Uh... One of those people who, if social media hadn't been invented and hadn't become what it was, probably none of us would have any conflicted feelings about her at all, other than you would read the occasional thing in a tabloid and go, wow, but it's a tabloid. You know, how much of that can I believe? Uh, but uh, someone who just did a lot of stuff that I really liked her in, and was in a lot of stuff that I would have liked if she were in it or not, but she contributed to things that I really dug, and... The fan part of me that wishes the unpleasant social media interaction hadn't happened is uh, very sad. Sad in the same way that I was when the unpleasant interaction happened. That I won't go into detail on because this isn't the the venue to do that. But uh, And it doesn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter at the time and it sure as hell doesn't matter now, you know. But, I mean, it happened, so I'm going to acknowledge that it happened. But that's that's the end of it. And... I wish it hadn't happened, and I wish that... It's, it's difficult when you... Well, when you don't know someone, but you disagree with them. That's difficult enough. But when you don't know someone and disagree with them, and also think... I, I, they, I, I, I think that there's hope for them. I think they could know better. They're smarter than this. You know? That's a very complicated set of emotions once that person's just suddenly gone and there's no more chance. You know? So I'm sad on a couple of levels about Kirstie Alley. I don't want to go any further with it because this is supposed to be rest in peace, not airing of grievances. And I, I don't want to... Like, that's not my intention. What, my intention is to say you never really know what's going on in somebody's life. You can only appreciate what you appreciate about them. And I really appreciated what she brought to her many, many fine film and screen roles. And... um uh, I'm sad as a fan that she's gone, and as a human being who has seen social media make monsters of us all, uh, I'm sad on that level too. Uh, and, I mean, no matter what, you don't want anyone to go through cancer, and you don't want anyone to uh, have to struggle like that at the very end, and uh, you, you don't want anyone's family to have to deal with that. And I hope... I hope her family's okay. I hope that they're finding peace in the midst of this. I hope that she had peace at the very end, and because uh, she, she deserved to have peace at the very end. We all deserve to go out peacefully, all of us. So, uh, rest in peace, Kirstie Alley, Christine McVie, Bob McGrath. Uh, I kind of hate doing these in this way. Like, I prefer to do like a special episode, like I did for uh, the the. Uh, 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 Kevin Conroy episode that I uploaded. I, I prefer to do that and just spend time with it, but 
sometimes you just kind of got, got to get these things done. And I've gotten these things done, and we are coming up on the 20-minute mark, and I'm supposed to do that thing where I tell you about all the places that you can go on the internet related to the show, and there's no transition from this subject into that subject, so I'm just going to do it. If you uh, get through the show and you like the show, there is a companion blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. You can listen to it on all of the major podcast apps, including the one that you're listening to it on now. If you can't find it out there on one and you want it on that one, let me know and I will see what I can do. But I believe it's on all the major ones unless somebody changed the rules. Uh, if you want to know more about me, go over to DerekBrink.com. Lots to click on there, mostly about my music career. If you like the music that you hear throughout the show, please check out DerekBrink.Bandcamp.com. You can download everything for absolutely free. I don't collect your email address. I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. And if you want to talk to me, if you want to send me your thoughts, rebuttals, and what have you, you can email me at my initials, db at DerekBrink.com. And I reply to everybody who isn't an absolute jerk in their emails. Sometimes I reply to the jerks, too. That can, that can take up an afternoon if I'm bored. But I, 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 I prefer to reply to the nice people. So feel free to email me, db at derekbrink.com. Uh, just know that if you're a jerk, I, you, you might not get a response. Or if you do, you might not enjoy it. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we are. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning into the show. We got a little bit to talk about here. I'm going to yell at you about Lord of the Rings for a while and then talk about some cool music now that we are through all of the debt. So many people asking me, hey, have you watched The Rings of Power yet? I've had that question so much over the past several months, uh, and I keep having to say no. Uh, look, I'm re-watching Boy Meets World right now for the fifth time. I don't have time to watch something new. I'm watching an old thing again. Like, I've got to get through that first. But uh, we're coming into the holiday season, and I spend time with Lord of the Rings every, you know, Christmas, around Christmas every year, and we're there, so I decided, well, I should probably watch that. And I watched it. And I'm going to give you my review of it right now. I should uh, preface this. I said in the very intro, but I'm going to preface it here as well. I am going to spoil all of the major plot points. If you do not want to know what all of the spoilers are, what all the major spoilers are, uh, then click away now, or don't click away. Look at the time index on whatever you're listening to this on right now and skip this part, and there's some really nice music talk at the end of the episode that I think you'll enjoy better than this, uh, or maybe you will enjoy this more, I don't know. But if you if you don't want it spoiled for you and you haven't watched, spoilers, 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 nothing but spoilers going on from here, you've been warned. I've, I've done my diligence, you have been warned. So, you know, the choice is now yours, it's on you if I'm, if I'm spoiling for it for you in the episode from this point on. Okay. So, Derek, have you seen Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power yet? Yes, I have, actually. I finally watched it. Hey, Derek, what did you think of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power? Well, let me say some things before I tell you. One of the most important things to bear in mind for everything that I'm going to say 
is it's impossible to find anyone who hates a show more than its fans. Every fandom is inherently toxic. We all hate the thing that we love. We all criticize it harshly. We're all terrible people. We're sorry, but it's how we are. And I'm, I, everything I say comes from someone who deeply loves the Lord of the Rings franchise, who deeply loves J.R.R. Tolkien, and who has some very specific opinions on all of that. So bear that in mind. I'll state my credentials again. I have read all of the books... I watch the movies every year at Christmas time, uh, and that is all the Lord of the Rings movies, all the Hobbit movies. I also listen to all of the commentaries at that same time every year. I watch all of the behind the scenes uh, DVD like bonus stuff. I watch all of that every year. I there's nothing I don't know about the movies, and there's I've read the books as well. By the way, if you want to do that, if you want to watch all that stuff, including the appendices, including the commentaries, as I do every year, uh, if you did it back to back to back and took absolutely no breaks, it would take you close to five days. So that's a huge chunk of time that I spend of my life every year just focusing on this thing. I love The Lord of the Rings more than uh, most people. And by that, I don't, lo I don't mean that I love Lord of the Rings more than most people love Lord of the Rings. I mean that I love Lord of the Rings more than I love most people. That's what I mean by that. So I, that, those, are, those are my credentials. I've read Lord of the Rings. I've read The Hobbit. I've read The Silmarillion. I've read The Book of Lost Tales. Some of that's really difficult because here's the thing where I reveal that, you know, fans are the people who hate it the most. As much as I love it, Tolkien is a fairly bad writer. I, 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 let's admit it. He's not a he's not a great writer. He's a great storyteller, not a great writer. Uh, there's a big difference between the two. He is not a professional novelist. He is not a professional author in that way. He is a teacher. He's a linguist, and he wrote a story. And the story is very strong. The way that he wrote it is very very poor. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Most recently, a friend of mine at work, who I will not name because I don't have his permission to, but hi, if you're listening, that guy. Uh, it's, yeah, Tolkien was, I keep describing him as he was Dickensian in the bad way, in that uh, he will have characters show up for like a full chapter that really add nothing to the story, that don't advance the plot at all, that are just there as... Because he thinks it's a fun story, and he kind of just sticks it in there and sticks it in the text, and it's just kind of there for a little while, and then it goes away, and it served no purpose and easily could have been lifted out, and any sane editor would have said, all right, look, I'm sorry, Tolkien fans, you're going to hate me for this. Any sane editor would have said, yeah, J.R.R., you could really lose this Tom Bombadil section. It does nothing. I know there's ring stuff in there. There's, you know, some information about the ring. It does it doesn't advance the plot at all. Tom Bombadil is unnecessary. Why don't you take the three sentences of this huge chunk of text that mean anything and just put it into other in incidental dialogue elsewhere in a scene that matters? Any editor would have done that to Tolkien all over the place because Tolkien one of the things that you hear them say in the bonus discs on the Lord of the Rings movies is if you tried to just take the novels and do a direct novel-to-screen adaptation and just tried to do it in the sequence and in the way that he did it in the novels, it's absolutely unfilmable. It's a mess. As many novels are, some of the best novels ever are unfilmable. 
because it's you know, just two very different mediums, two d very different forms. It's it's impossible to do, but also because Tolkien just takes so many side roads that th th these are books that have a very lengthy appendix to them. The appendices are their own storybooks. I mean, they're their own short storybooks at the, at the end of the story is the appendix as an appendix tends to be, and it just has extra information and extra stories in it, and so much of what's in the books belongs in the appendices. Like, Tom Bombadil would have been a great story in the appendices. In the book, it's, it interrupts the flow and adds nothing to the plot, and Tolkien did that a lot. He also would spend four pages describing trees and then get back to, you know, Frodo with the ring and advance the plot by a hundred years with one sentence and, and, and just throw it away, and then get back to describing trees. Like, he didn't service his own plot very well in the book. So that's a little bit of what I'm bringing to any time I watch a Lord of the Rings installment that someone else has made, is I, I bring in my pre preconceived notion that, well, I mean, Tolkien... It's a great story that isn't very well told, so let's see what they're going to do with it. You know, so I already come into it with that. So then I get into the movies, and, you know, The Hobbit has some unforgivable sins in it. Like, the Tariel character doesn't belong at all. It was just an excuse to cram a, a, a strong woman character played by Evangeline Lilly into the movie, uh, and that's fine. Uh, Legolas doesn't belong in the story at all. That is just an excuse to have somebody we're familiar with from the other movies in it. And that's fine, and I, I, I know that, and it's unforgivable, and the purist in me absolutely hates that. But it doesn't bother me when I watch the movies, because as I've said about the Hobbit movies, Peter Jackson didn't set out to make J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, he set out to make a prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and that's what that movie is, and that works for me. Uh, so, you know, you can find excuses to get over whatever the greatest sins are and and anything that you love. Uh, I have problems with the original Lord of the Rings movies, some of the stuff that isn't right and isn't pure to the book in that. Like, the sort of over-edition of Arwen is... Sometimes a little clunky, although it all works really well, but it, it, I can see where a avid Tolkien uh, lunatic would hate that. Uh, but the thing that I, I've found most unforgivable about those movies is Return of the King, maybe the best of the movies, although my favorite is Fellowship, but maybe the best of the movies, Return of the King, leaves out the scouring of the Shire. If you're not familiar with the books, there's a beat at the very end of the books after the climax of the story... Which, you know, people say that Jackson had too many endings after the climax of the story in Return of the King. Read Tolkien sometime. Where, he, where do you think he got the idea for not ending a story at the climax? Tolkien is well known for that. Uh, so anyway, after the climax, the hobbits returned to the Shire, and they found that the Shire is being taken over by Sauron, who for some reason is being called Sharky. That's not really made clear why. There, there's like a throwaway line that like, oh, it was a mistranslation or mishearing, I think, of uh, his name in some other language that I've never mentioned before in the text so far, and uh, it's uh, would have been easily correctable the first time someone called him Sharky for him to go, what? Well, name's Saruman, and it would have been fine. But I have to mislead you as the reader. Uh, I'm a terrible writer, and uh, sorry. That, that, that's that's what's going on there. But anyway, they find that the Shire has, being, has been taken over by Saruman, and like that's where the death of Saruman happens in the story. 
uh, tying up that loose end. Uh, and uh, uh, that wouldn't end there. And I thought that that was a very important part of the story, that even the idyllic, you know, beautiful land that our hobbits are from, that they know that they're returning to, that they're holding out hope for, when they return there, they find that evil has even penetrated that, and that extreme evil is always a danger, no matter what what safety you think you have. You need to be on guard against evil. I think that's a big thrust of the point of the whole story, and especially even those movies, and it wasn't in there. I know, I know there's an allusion to it in Gladriel's Glade, in the, the you know, water mirror thing that I've forgotten the word for. I, I Yeah, I know we see a little clip of what could have been, but... The problem is it it in the story it it wasn't could have been it was it happened and it's not in the movie and that's always bothered me. That said, when I watch the movie, like when I talk about the movie, I bring that up. When I watch the movie, I don't think about that. You know what I do? I burst into tears every time Aragorn says, "My friends, you bow to no one." That gets me every fucking time, even though I know it's coming. For 20 years, every time that scene gets me. That's because I love this world. That was all preface. Everything that I just said for the last, what, 10 minutes has been preface. I'm now going to talk about Rings of Power. You know that I'm a guy who loves this world, but you also know that I'm a guy who's heavily critical of this world. So if you're going to ask me what do I think about Rings of Power, yeah, I didn't really like it. Uh, but I kept watching it, and I'm going to watch season two. That's the very short version. But let me tell you why I'm going to watch season two, by first telling you what I didn't like, and then telling you what I did like, and what gives me hope for season two. That's what we're going to do in this next little se section here. Like anybody else, when I heard that there was a new Lord of the Rings TV show coming out on Prime, which I was already a subscriber to, so points for that, uh, I was cautiously optimistic at best, uh, unlike most of the people who judged it before they'd even seen a frame of it, I didn't have any problem with them including other races in the cast. Why was that ever a problem? Why did anyone care about that? I'll tell you why. Because a lot of people are racist. Uh, if that was a problem for you, then you don't deserve to watch anything. Because, uh, news for you, there are other cultures beyond your own in the world, and they deserve to be represented in, uh, other, in shows and in things. And especially when a show is absolute fantasy, and uh, we, like, there's, there's no reason to believe that people of different skin tones didn't exist in that world, other than it just wasn't directly mentioned, which, by the way, it was in the books. Uh, it's mentioned a couple of times that there are people of different skin colors and, you know, darker shades of skin and, you know, brown skin and things like that. that that's, that's, that's mentioned in Tolkien actually quite a bit, more than he gets credit for. Uh, I mean, he was an English guy mainly writing about white people. That's true. That's a, a product of the time. But more than he gets credit for, he did have other races in there. In fact, the entire story is about how other races come together to conquer evil. Uh, so I, 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 uh, you shouldn't be allowed to watch anything if you're a racist. That's just how I feel about it. Because you're going to, you're, you're only going to make yourself mad by watching something and seeing someone who isn't you. Uh, so why don't you just look in a mirror, just keep looking in a mirror, and waste your life. And stop listening to my show if you're a racist too, by the way. I don't, I don't want your numbers. Um, but yeah, I, like anybody else, I was a little bit excited, but mostly kind of going, oh, I really hope they don't screw it up, and expecting them to screw it up a little bit. <laughs> and that's a little bit of why it took me so long to watch it, is I was kind of going, I, I, I know I'm going to have problems with it, because I have problems even with the stuff I already love. 
but how bad are those problems going to be? And the simple fact of it is some of the problems that I have with it are pretty fucking big. Some of them are because I'm a Tolkien geek and I've read all this nonsense and, you know, you read something and even though it's fiction, you're protective of it. Uh, you know, some of it's that. But some of it I really think was just bad writing. And I want to touch on that stuff. Remember, I'm going to say good stuff too. But I have to touch on the bad stuff. I have to touch on the stuff that I didn't like that didn't speak to me. Because if I don't, then I can't get to the good stuff. The good stuff's not going to mean as much if I don't also address the bad. And also, like, telling you all the stuff that I didn't like actually feeds into the explanation of why I'm going to watch season two when it comes out. So stay with me here. I'm going to come unhinged for a little bit. But I'll, I'll come back to you, and it'll be okay. Just stay with me. Alright? And I apologize to those of you who are not Tolkien people if I use any Tolkienisms or if I just assume that you know plot stuff that you don't. I'm going to try not to do that, and I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can. But, uh, I, you know, as as shown in the Silmarillion with Iluvatar's third song, sometimes corruption just, sleep, just seeps right in and is a problem, and you can't do anything to stop it. Although, it turned out that Iluvatar, the whole time, had already planned for that in advance and it made the song even more beautiful. It, 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 it created Arda, which we now know as Earth. Luvatar's God. Uh, the, 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 yeah, sorry if any of that happens, but it's, it's, it's probably going to. I'm going to assume that you've got a little bit of interest, and I'm, I'm gonna try to keep any of my references like that to a minimum. I'll just try to talk about stuff that was in the show or in the movies that you've probably seen. But, let's get into this. And again, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Um, I'm almost not sure where to start, but I'm gonna start with... Right after I watched, I mean, not right after, but within a day or two after I watched the last episode of Rings of Power, I then watched the uh, you know, Fellowship of the Ring. And Rings of Power is not meant to be a true prequel to those movies, but it does intend and absolutely does borrow a lot of the look and a lot of the structure, and a lot of the background, and sometimes outright takes dialogue from those movies. So it's saying it's not a prequel, and then does everything it can to be a prequel. Uh, there's a problem in and of itself right there. But one of the things that I noticed, and I didn't notice it in the show, I noticed it when I watched Fellowship, was one of the early scenes in Fellowship of the Ring is the elves each putting on their ring of power and looking at the ring and showing the ring to the camera. In the show, this, it's all building up to them making the rings in the final episode, and they make the rings in the final episode, and they show off the rings in the final episode, and they're completely different than they were in the movies. They're, they got the rings wrong. They got the fucking rings wrong. That, that, that made me crazy once I realized it. They got the fucking rings wrong. In a show that, again, is pretending that it's not a direct prequel, that then goes out of its way to be a direct prequel, uh, they, they got the rings wrong. And that, that bugs me, just from a continuity standpoint, even though they're claiming that there's no continuity, which there definitely is. That's a big part of the problem with this show. It, it doesn't know what the fuck it is. And that's, that's a big problem in season one. I think that's gonna get better as, it go, as time goes on, but right now it doesn't know what the fuck it is. It needs to figure that out quick. And that's actually the problem with the way things are structured now with streaming media. All this stuff is done and in the can and is just being released with absolutely no audience interaction. 
like the way that they used to do TV, that they sometimes still do TV, you can make your first, you know, six or eight episodes and you start to get audience feedback as people are watching the show and you can go in and tweak stuff and you can film new stuff. You can't do that with the streaming media that we've got now. If you've made a bad show, you're fucked. You're just going to have to show that bad show and hope like hell that you get a season two to correct your errors. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a problem just in the construct of how TV works now. But this show right now doesn't know what it is. And that's one of the big problems. Is it a true prequel? Is it not? If it isn't, then why is it trying so hard to be? And so they got the rings wrong. Uh, there's the elf whose name I didn't bother remembering because I was completely uninterested, who is trying to save the uh, small village that ends up turning into Mordor. Uh, didn't care. Didn't care about him, didn't care about anybody in that story, don't remember any of their names, hoping that I don't have to remember them in season two because I'm not going to. Uh, they all seemed superfluous and it was a very weak story. And also, being a, a Tolkien guy, if you're a Tolkien person and you've looked at any of the maps, you know, like the maps that they kept showing you in the movies over and over again, if you've looked at any of the maps, you knew that we were in Mordor during that whole thing. Like, they took you down there and you go, oh, this is Mordor. This is, it's not Mordor yet, but it's about to be Mordor. This is the story of how this becomes Mordor. Uh, so, you know, don't get attached to anybody because they're all probably going to die because it's going to be Mordor. And then none of them die, uh, but, it's, but it is Mordor. And I, just, I didn't retain anybody's name in that whole thing, including the guy that for about half a minute they tried to convince you was Sauron, that we all knew wasn't Sauron because Sauron... Uh, okay, this is a little bit of, you know, book stuff, but Sauron in the Second Age, which we are in, which they mentioned in the show, so I'm, I'm still in the show right now. Sauron is described by Tolkien as being a very beautiful man, uh, angelic in appearance, in fact, often taking angelic form. The name he would have had in this period would have been uh, 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 Anatar or uh, Olendel, possibly. Uh, but uh, as we find out throughout the show... He ends up being Halbrand. We'll get there. Uh, I, I, the, the guy that they were trying to initially convince you was Sauron, was uh, an ugly gentleman who was very dark and not angelic at all, and it was like, oh, well, clearly that guy's not going to be Sauron. He's just some evil guy, and we'll probably forget about him in time. And I hope that time is sooner rather than later. Didn't retain his name either. The only name that I retained of all of the people in the, in like that sort of pre-Mordor area in that pre-Mordor story, the only name that I really retained is the one person uh, who is noticeably Asian in the cast, the only Asian person they apparently could find to hire in all of Middle-earth, uh, is named Theo. Uh, and that stuck in my head just because I thought that was a weird name for him to have. Uh, not necessarily because he's Asian, but because like that's not Tolkien-y at all. Theo? There's nothing Tolkien-y about the name. Th that's that's that, that's a Cosby name. That's not a Tolkien name, uh, and so the, like that's that's the only name I retained, and not for a good reason. Uh, that's uh, you know I I didn't I, I just didn't grab any of that. Some of that's probably just my fault. Maybe maybe that storyline just wasn't for me, and so much of that. So much of what I'm saying can be summarized as that. It, it's not for me, and maybe it's for you, and that's fine, and and God bless you. But right now, it's my show, and I'm yelling about a thing I love. Uh, so, yeah, everything with the elf trying to protect what eventually became Mordor was just wasted on me, because the second that I saw the, you know, the area on the map, I went, oh, that's Mordor, I better not get used to these characters. And I just didn't bother memorizing names. 
and they didn't do anything compelling enough to make me want to memorize their names. Elsewhere in the show, so so we already lost, uh, like, immediately, to anybody who's read any Tolkien, you lost your uh, one of your options for who might be Sauron. It's just automatically not in the in the story anymore, and or as, as an he's not an option anymore, I guess. And that's actually part of the problems. They didn't have enough red herrings, even though they kept trying to. Uh, if you have any, if you've watched the movies, even you probably were ahead of the ball on a lot of this stuff. Ahead of the ball, ahead of the curve. You're ahead of the curve ball. Let's go with that, I guess, on a lot of this stuff. Um, one of the stories that did work for me pretty well, actually, is uh, the story with the hobbits and the uh, tall, mysterious stranger, or I guess the regular-sized mysterious, mysterious stranger. Uh, the, the, I, I liked the two hobbit girls a lot, Nori and uh, Poppy. Uh, the, that's another thing that bugged me a little bit, though, is that they named her Nori, and that probably didn't jump out at, at some people, and especially not to people who, you know, maybe aren't familiar with Lord of the Rings, and... They know the name, and they just saw, oh, there's a new Lord of the Rings TV show. I'm going to check that out. Because, which I, is probably the target audience for this show as much as anybody else. You know, that, like, that's one of the complicated things about doing stuff with this kind of source material is you've got to write it for people who have never seen or read any of this stuff and treat it like a whole new property, which can be frustrating for people like me that know all of it. But anyway, those who don't know as much about this nonsense as I do, Nori is the name of one of the dwarves in The Hobbit. It's a dwarven name. It's not a hobbit name. And this is a hobbit... Like, this story would predate The Hobbit. So, like, this is... Like, going way back, that's a... Nori is a dwarven name, not a hobbit name. And I think they meant that to be fan service. I think they meant them to... I think they were trying to go, like, throw a wink to me and say, Hey, we used a... We used a token word. We used a token name to name this, this character. Aren't you proud of us? And, like... No, I'm a little bit frustrated by that, actually. But I got over that quickly because the actress who plays Nori, who I don't know anybody's name in the cast, I apologize for that, but she uh, she did a very good job, and like everybody who played a hobbit in that did a very good job. But they're escorting around a mysterious stranger who fell from the sky, and uh, he's also being, in fact, at one point, he is the front runner for possibly being uh, the character of Sauron in his pre-Sauron guise. Like, we're supposed to think, oh, that guy might be Sauron. That guy's probably Sauron. Uh, he has no name. He fell from the sky. He uh, has a really long, scraggly beard. He has a bunch of uh, mysterious powers that are kind of wizardly, uh, and he's hanging out with hobbits. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's, by, by the second episode he was in, by episode three, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's Gandalf. The, that, that guy's Gandalf. He's clearly Gandalf. He's not going to be, that's not Sauron. He's Gandalf. Uh, that's obviously Gandalf. And they don't outright say it in the show yet, but, uh, at the very end of the last episode, they give him a direct line of dialogue from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies. Again, is it a prequel or isn't it? Uh, they give him the line, you know, when in doubt, follow your nose, which Gandalf says when they're in the mines. He says that to Mary because the stench of one of the tunnels isn't as bad as the other ones, and he says when in doubt, follow your nose. It's Gandalf. He's Gandalf. He was obviously always Gandalf. At one point, like, he has the beard, and he's hanging out with hobbits, and at one point he puts his head, like, through a tent, and the tent becomes his garb, so now they're dressing him as a wizard because it looks like wizard robes. He's, it's, 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 it's Gandalf. It's Gandalf. He was never going to be Sauron. Doesn't, not, uh, uh, no offense to the actor who plays him, not an overly handsome character. 
I mean, some of that's makeup, and they intentionally dressed him down and stuff, but not, you know, not the beautiful, angelic character. Definitely not Sauron. Not, not Sauron. It's Gandalf. So that, uh, that was a problem for me, too. By the time they got to the, oh, is he, is he gonna be Sauron? No, it's fucking, that's Gandalf. I mean, it's clearly Gandalf. Like, it, it just, like, it's so much of the problem that I have with this show is my fault and not theirs. Because they didn't write that part for me. They wrote that part for people who aren't going to figure it out in a heartbeat because they haven't read all this nonsense, you know? And maybe they haven't seen the movies. So, for me, that kind of thing is frustrating. For somebody else, it's probably a lot of intrigue. But I, I liked the story, and I liked how they handled it, and I thought that the relationship between Nori and Poppy was really strong and very kind of Sam and Frodo, and, uh, you know, it, that worked for me a lot, and I enjoyed that. But, like, just the suspense and the attempted red herring, I was like, well, that's not a red herring at all. That's just a fish. Uh, it's just a different kind of fish. It's a wizard fish. That's what it is. It's a wizard fish. I don't know if there are wizard fish out there in the world, but uh, it's a wizard fish. It's, it's Gandalf. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I felt about that. Um, what else? Uh, the guy who played Elrond doesn't quite look right to me, doesn't look enough like Hugo Weaving, but again, they're claiming it's not meant to be a direct prequel while doing their damnedest to make a direct prequel. Uh, whatever. The guy did a very good job. I have no problem with his acting. I just thought the look was slightly off. Uh, I feel, I do feel like in the Second Age, the relationship between Elrond and the dwarves would not have been quite as familial as they're painting it in the, or I almost said in the movie, in the, uh, show. But a recurring thing in the movies is close relationships with elves and dwarves. I understand why they're doing it. And, uh, you know, there were some liberties in the movies as well that I am fine with. I, you know, it was just kind of noticeable to me. And, and I understood with that, look, they've got a, they've got a deal with finding, with finding Mithril and all that stuff. And okay, fine. This was exposition to get us there. It doesn't bug me. Uh, again, I, 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 in my heart of hearts, that's the small heart inside of my larger heart. I do wish that the guy looked a little bit more like Hugo Weaving, but he did, he did an excellent job as an actor. So I can't really complain about that too much. I just it's again it's just that thing of are you making a prequel or aren't you because the places where you're trying it's very obvious that you're trying and then sometimes your cast looks incorrect you know <laughs> um one of the things that i thought that they got really right though was the casting of galadriel that actress did a an excellent job with it and i thought that like the galadriel story is kind of what kept me coming back uh, i thought they did a very good job with galadriel uh, and I'm going to get into the positives more here in a moment, but with Galadriel, like, even with, though I was enjoying her story, there was stuff that they did with her that I really didn't like. Because at one point, Mount Doom is created and spews lava down into what, you know, into the small town we were supposed to care about that we didn't, and Galadriel takes a full-force blast of lava from Mount Doom right in the face uh, and lives, and then just gets up like it was nothing. I got a problem with that, because uh, Mount Doom's lava, the only thing that can destroy the ring, the only thing powerful enough to destroy the ring, uh, shown to destroy flesh in, you know, moments and just suck down flesh into it 
and uh, uh, just it's it, it, it's it's the most dangerous substance in all of Middle Earth. Apparently, Gladriel's fine, uh, just taking a bath in it, as are many of the other characters. That bugged the hell out of me. Uh, by that was late in the show, and I felt like by the time we got there, they had already jumped the shark a couple of times. And when that happened, I felt like they beat the shark to fucking death. That that drove me crazy. Uh, one of the other things that did with Gladriel, I have to talk about the last big spoiler that I've already mentioned. Uh, the guy Halbrand. The, you know, good-looking guy who is very attractive, who you is charming and you kind of want to be on his side, much how Sauron is described in his humanoid or angelic form, uh, turns out to be Sauron. Gee, big surprise there. He was the third option. He was also the only option, because one guy clearly wasn't who was evil, one guy was clearly Gandalf, who was good, and then you had Halbrand, who fits the description. So, I mean, by the second time I saw him, I went, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna be Sauron. And I went in not knowing that, but I, I just I saw him, and oh, that guy's gonna be Sauron. And then, actually, once I thought that, I did look it up, I did spoil it for myself on purpose, because I wanted to know if I needed to be frustrated or not to watch the rest of it. And I, I read and went, yep, he's Sauron. Okay, well, I hate that, but let's, let's keep watching. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of, and, and part of the reason I hated it is because, again, Halbrand, not one of the names of Sauron, but fine, whatever, we can accept that it was just an alias, like Sharky, uh, but, you know, whatever, uh, it, it's fine, we, I, I can move past that, but I just thought it was so badly done, I just thought it was so badly done, they, they didn't, they didn't give you any option but for him to be Sauron, and it bugged me. It bugged me a lot. He was the other, he was the only option if you knew anything about the other two characters, or if you could assume anything about the other two characters, or if you've, you know, watched a show and solved a mystery before. He was the only option. So the big reveal in the last episode of the of the season fell absolutely flat for me. It was supposed to be this big moment, and I was just like, yeah, fucking, I, I, I know, he's Sauron. I knew that by the second time I saw him, that guy was gonna be Sauron. Uh, I don't like the relationship that he had with Galadriel. I thought that was, A, non-Tolkien, but I understand why they did it, but B, I just thought it was tacky. Uh, like, he is supposed to hate her, but also wants her to be his queen, uh, really wants to get in, into Gladriel's pants, and really, who wouldn't? Gladriel is, a, is the most beautiful of all of the elves. But he, it, like, that that bugged me. That really bugged me. And what bugged me the most about that is when Halbrand slash Sauron is confronting Galadriel in, uh, you know, toward the end and sort of goes into her mind and is trying to tempt her from within her own mind. By the way, not really a thing that happens in Tolkien, ever, hardly, but fine. I guess he did that by touching her hand, briefly. Uh, he, when he's in there, he's directly feeding her lines from the Fellowship movie, and it drove me fucking nuts. He directly fed her everything that she said when she's in Gladriel's Glade, with, that Kate Blanchett says when she turns into the weird, evil Swamp Witch version of Gladriel, that I'm sure has a name in Tolkien lore that I'm just forgetting. But uh, when she's like, in place of a, of a king, you would have a queen, dark and beautiful as... The, when that scene, he feeds her that line. He feeds her everything that she said there. He describes Galadriel exactly how she describes herself in Galadriel's Glade. So apparently, when she's in the middle of this traumatic moment of a guy that she trusted turning out to be extremely evil, 
and he's, you know, tempting her and stuff. She's in this horrible moment, and but, like, is present enough to remember exactly what uh, he said to her, to repeat it hundreds of years later, when talking to a hobbit, uh, when she's in another moment of extreme trauma and uh, temptation. That bugged the piss out of me. I, I, was, I was furious watching that. I was like, don't, don't do it, don't do it. You're doing it, you're doing it. And I, got, I was like yelling at the TV. And uh, uh, I don't like feeling like that. So yeah, I hated a lot of that. I hated a lot of that. Uh, so those are all the problems that I have. That's probably not even all the problems. A lot of those are Tolkien-based problems. I know too much, and that's, that's the problem. It's my fault, not theirs. Some of those are lazy, bad writing. And that needs to be addressed quickly. Uh, but I did good stuff. Let's talk about good stuff. I did like most of the Galadriel story. I liked how they handled her. I thought they wrote her character very well. She felt like Galadriel. I liked their use of Tolkien language. A lot, a lot of the words that they said. I liked, I liked that they worked in some of the Elvish and some of the other languages as well. But I liked, I liked that they just knew to save Valinor and knew and were you know had a boat headed toward Valinor at one point and it was like oh that 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 was for me they, that like they did that for me and that felt good uh i loved getting to see Numenor because if you watch the movies and you're a Tolkien person one of the things that you know kind of you walk away from those movies you kind of go oh eh, never going to see Numenor that's kind of a bummer uh, but then, you know, they do this show, and you get to see Numenor, and it looks great. And so much of the design of the show, so much of the look of the show is perfect. Although there is some really dodgy chainmail that is, like, sub-Monty Python-level chainmail on some of the characters. But, you know, budgets are hard. I can't hold their feet to the flame on that too much. And also, Pete Jackson went out of his way to have the best chainmail that they could possibly have in all of, you know, this kind of medieval-type filmmaking. Uh, and the process of that was two guys in a room linking together individual links of plastic for a couple of years, and they just they didn't have that on this show. So I get it. I can let that go. But so much of the show looks beautiful and looks perfect and is a perfect fit for the world that we've already established to which it either is or is not a direct prequel. Uh, but yeah, the look was great. It was great to see Numenor. I already said I really liked the hobbits and the, the relationship between the hobbit girls. Uh, that... A Hobbit story is, should always just be the thrust of anything that you do in a Tolkien adaptation because that's what we all know and love, and it's also, you can be very charming with it and, and also add a lot of danger, and uh, yeah, that worked really well for me. Uh, I thought the creation of Mount Doom was clever, although I don't think that that's how science works, but uh, I did like it, and I thought, oh, that was, you know what? They layered in the tunnel from the very start. They layered in that they were digging this tunnel from the very start that I thought was just a military thing. They, they got me on that one. They, they tricked me on that one. Turned out to be the thing that they used to start Mount Doom. Okay, well done. You know what? You got one over on me. I thought that was actually pretty well done. Uh, and it, for as much as I hated the Halbrand story, they did a couple of things well with that, even. Even though I didn't like it, they did a couple of things well with that. And that they layered in him being a guy who knows how to make things. They laid in that he does metalwork. They laid in, you know, stuff like that. They laid in a, a, a little bit of a contemptuous relationship with Galadriel here and there that Sauron would have if he met Galadriel. So, I mean, you know, they, they did some very good things with it. I just ended up hating the way they did the big reveal, quote-unquote reveal. Uh, and, and again, good use of Tolkien words, Tolkien language, that kind of thing. Uh... 
ultimately, the things that were good were good enough that I want to see more. So as much as I got into, oh, I hate this, I hate that, I hate this, I hate that, as much as I didn't like about it as much as jumped out at me, one of the things that you've got to remember about this show and that I had to remember that made me keep watching is this is season one. And the way that shows are made now, this is virtually episode one. The entire series is virtually episode one. Think about any TV show that you love. Any TV show that you grew up with that's your favorite thing in the world, and then think about the pilot episode. Think about episode one of that show. Isn't that episode terrible? Isn't it so different from the rest of the show? And don't you just kind of, don't you look back on the pilot episode and cringe because it's so different from everything that you love about the show and not everything's in place yet and it hasn't figured itself out yet. Maybe there's a different cast member or two in there. And as the show goes on, it slowly becomes the thing that you love. It gets rid of the stuff that doesn't work and finds the stuff that does work and leans into that. The way that this show was done, this whole season was episode one. They hadn't figured out what worked yet, and they had to they they had to trim some stuff that they didn't have a chance to trim because it hadn't aired, and they didn't know, and they didn't see what worked because they're just stuck in their vacuum, stuck in their bubble of what they're making. And when you're making something, it's impossible to be objective about it. They they didn't have the advantage of having an audience until it was too late. And this all is episode one. This is all the very start of it. This isn't going to be what it is forever. It's going to change. It's going to adapt. It's going to grow. It's going to be like Star Trek in that way. If you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, seasons one and two are kind of terrible. It found its feet in season three and then was a great show. And I love a lot of season one or two of that, too. I'm, uh, you know, card-carrying Trekkie. Don't get me wrong. And uh, yes, I do prefer Trekkie. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, it, it's like that. This first season was setting up a bunch of stuff. It's getting all the pieces in place. It's getting everything where it needs to be to then make a good show. They had to struggle through getting us to where, all right, we're going to make a show, and the show's going to be going to be good, and it's going to like focus on things, and it's going to there's going to be plots, and there's going to be <laughs> good stuff that happens. But we have to get all these characters formed first, and you have to know who all these characters are, and we have to establish a lot about these characters before we can do that. So here's season one. Bear with us. Season two is going to be good. I think that's what's happening here. And there was enough that was good in season one that I enjoyed in season one, that now that all the stuff is in place, now that all the background nonsense that I hated and that didn't keep my attention and that I really wish I hadn't had to deal with, I'm not going to have to deal with any of that anymore. That's all done. That's gone. It's over. Now we're in the story. Now we get to actually tell and see the story, and I think it's going to be fun. The good stuff that was there that was story-advancing stuff, the Galadriel arc up until her confrontation with Sauron, which was the ugh, but the Galadriel arc was great. The Hobbit arc was great, even though I was ahead of it. I think they've got a really good story that they're going to tell here, I think they just didn't know how to get there. So in that way, it's very, very Tolkien. And how can I not love that? Even when I hate it. So, all that to say, yeah, didn't enjoy it that much. There was a lot that was really frustrating to me about it. I was yelling at the screen at one point. There was a lot that I absolutely hated about it that I, I at one point I didn't think I was going to finish watching it. But I did finish it. 
and I'm excited for season two. I hope that 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 it's it's as good as I think it can be. So that's where we are on the Rings of Power. That uh, was a very long rant. I still have one more segment to do. I'm sorry, uh, but thank you for hanging in there with me on that. Uh, as uh, as I as 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 I struggled to keep it simple and failed. Uh, but thank you for listening to me rant and rave and occasionally compliment <laughs> about a thing that I, I love and love to hate uh, <laughs> because I'm a fan. Thanks for hanging with me on that. I know these segments aren't for everybody, but I hope that it was for you. And if you're still listening, God bless you. And if you're still listening and have no idea what any of the stuff that I said was about at all, uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, doing your dishes for all this time or taking your jog or whatever you do when you're listening to a podcast. Uh, uh, that was probably a very confusing listen, but hopefully it was good background noise. Uh, thanks for putting up with, with all that. I feel, like, I feel like you deserve some kind of reward for that. So, like, if, uh, oh, if, 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 if I were Galadriel, able to give you gifts to help you further along your way, and you came to me and asked me for one golden hair off of my head, I would give to you three. And a couple of those shiny daggers. And a cape that makes you look like a rock inexplicably for some reason. There's a battle that's fought deep inside of us all And each one must choose their side some of us weaker have chosen the easy way And some of us have chosen the lie But I stand with pride The wall at my back and proclaim my What the hell? There's another segment? I, you're going to talk about music? You're still going to talk about music even though you just spent like an hour yelling at me about hibbits and hobbits and bibbits and bobbits and whatever else? Yeah, sorry, I got a little bit more to talk to you about. I'll try to keep this a little bit brief. I don't have a lot to say about either release that I'm, I'm going to talk about, but I do have a little bit of music that I want to talk to you about that I think maybe you might find interesting. So we're going to do sort of a lightning-fast music section with just two releases here, both of which I'm very excited about, but both of which I can sum up my feelings much more briefly than I can my feelings on the Rings of Power movie. Movie? TV show. Whatever. I talked about a little bit of everything in that one, everything Tolkien-related. Uh, sorry, but, you know, that's, that's what happens when you, when you talk to a Derek. Uh, a couple pieces of music I want to talk about. One is a brand new release that I'm very excited about. A gentleman named Mark with a C, spelled how you would imagine, M-A-R-C-W-I-T-H-A-C, uh, Mark with a C, uh, put out a new album this, this year. And Mark with a C, you may not be very familiar with, uh, I don't, I don't know. He's he's one of those guys that you either seem to know or you don't, which I guess aren't we all. But you know, he's just he's one of those. He's sort of a niche market type of guy, very lo-fi, kind of acoustapunk type stuff for most of his career, uh, dabbling in other things here and there. But he he embraces the lo-fi thing quite readily. Uh, you can really tell he likes guided by voices. I guess is is a way to <laughs> to kind of do that. And uh, I've uh, had some communication with Mark a little bit on social media. Uh, we sort of. I, I mean, I'm going to say that we know each other on Twitter. I don't know if that's a fair way to say it. I mean, he may. 
I, I think uh, when I press like on something that he posts or when I comment on it, he may have the thought of, oh, hey, it's that guy again. That's probably the nature of our relationship on Twitter. But uh, uh, I've had some interaction with him. He's a really good guy. He's got, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, something that I, I don't want to spend too much time on, uh, but he's uh, had some health problems in the last couple of years. And if any of what I say about his music appeals to you in any way, please go to his Bandcamp page. Uh, and uh, or to his website, and if you just go to Bandcamp, you t- type in Mark with the C, you'll find him. I think it's probably just Mark with the C at you know, dot Bandcamp, but uh, find him on Bandcamp. Uh, and if you like any of what I've, I'm saying here, listen to some of his stuff, and please download it and pay for it because it'll be going to a guy who could use the money and is a really good guy. But all that said, Mark with the C. Just kind of an acoustic punk, you know, fun rock songs kind of guy. A lot of his songs are kind of silly and fun. Some of them get a little bit more serious and make big points. Uh, but to give you just sort of a taste, I've got in my hand his uh, best of album, Maybe It'll Be Good. And just a sample of some of his song titles, uh, Motherfuckers Be Bullshittin', uh, Drunk Classic Rock Fans, Jessica I Heard You Like The Who, uh, uh, I will repossess your heart. I like that a lot. Uh, uh, there's some other funny ones in here as well. Uh, oh, one of my favorites, Dick Puncher 3, The Dickening. Uh, stuff like that. But again, again, he also writes serious stuff sometimes, and some of those are a little bit more serious than you would think. But fun, poppy stuff and, and good old-fashioned rock stuff with a little bit of a punk attitude and a lot of it on acoustic guitar, and I really like him. And, uh, you know, fell in love with his stuff and got to know him a little bit on social media and got to know him is kind of maybe too big of a phrase for it. Sorry, but I I, I appreciate his presence on social media, I'll say that. And he put out a new album this year that I was kind of late to getting to, but I finally got to it, uh, called Thanatophobia. Thanatophobia, if you don't know what that is, is the fear of death. Which is, uh, I mean, we're all afraid of death, I think. I don't think anybody is looking forward to death, despite what the most Christian people in your social media feeds will say. They're all afraid of death, too. But thanatophobia is the unhealthy fear of death. The fear of death where it's an obsession, where it's all you think about, where it's actively, you know, upsetting your life. So that's that's thanatophobia. Which is one of those things that when you know that a guy's going through health problems and he releases an album called, effectively, Fear of Death, that should tug at your heartstrings anyway. But uh, I also am just a fan. So I picked it up, and I listened to it, and it's a really cool experience. There's some great stuff on here. It's, it's a Mark with a C album. There's a little bit more keyboard and stuff to it than you're perhaps used to if you've listened to his other stuff. But uh, it's, it's a great album with his same vibe, although it does get a little bit more serious than some of his other albums. There's, uh, he, you know, he has fun, he's a little goofy here and there, but he also talks a lot about you know, sexual identity and consent and that kind of thing. There's a song called Informed Consent, is what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about that. That's very serious. Uh, and his song, uh, I Don't Want to Hurt Anyone, is another one that jumps out at me as being one that's a really great song that's maybe a little bit more serious. This album in general is maybe a little bit more serious than what he's done in the past, but it's just as good and just as fun. And you can enjoy it on the surface level, or you can dive really deep. And if you want to dive really deep, the CD version, and I think probably also the vinyl, but I got it on CD because I have all of his other stuff on CD that I have, 
the CD version comes with an audio CD and also a DVD. And the DVD has stamped on it, Never play this disc alone, only sync to Thanatophobia. Which you do. You kind of press play on both at a certain point, and the video syncs up to the music that you're hearing on your CD player, and you kind of watch the two together. It's an interactive experience. And I just kind of love that somebody's doing that in the day of disposable MP3s and that kind of thing. It's just kind of cool to see somebody go to that kind of trouble, and I, I liked that a lot. And I like the album a lot. It's got some really moving sections and some really fun sections, and really isn't that all you can ask for. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me that I really appreciated and I wanted to, to talk about uh, is when you open up the, the jacket, or the digipack, I guess, for the CD... Uh, on the yellow page that is staring at you, one of the first things that you notice is the album dedication. And I just want to read that album dedication. It says, Dedicated to Ian. Ian, you gave me something to fight for, but most importantly, you gave me hope for the future during a very bleak period. Grandpa loves you always, unconditionally, and the family is never complete without you. Uh, and I just thought that was really sweet, that a guy who's a grandpa dedicated his album to his uh, grandkid, because... I like a lot, and like everybody I listen to is definitely a grandpa, but none of them put it in their liner notes, and none of them make a big deal out of that, and uh, Mark with a C did, because his heart's in the right place, and he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't want people to think he's still 19, and, you know, this punk-ass kid running around, he's owning who he is, and I thought that was really beautiful, and I wanted to, that's... That's the kind of guy he is. I want to draw some attention to that, too. Check out his stuff. Check out his Bandcamp. Uh, download his stuff and pay for it. He's a really good guy who could use the money right now, and he writes really, really cool music, and his heart's in the right place. So check out Mark with a C. Check out Thanatophobia in particular, but if you need a good starting point that isn't the new album, the best of is probably the place to go called Maybe It'll Be Good. It's a double disc and has a ton of fun stuff on it. The other music thing that I want to talk about real quick... One of my favorite albums turned 50 years old this year. My second favorite album, actually. My favorite album is The Who's Quadrophenia. But my second favorite album is Neil Young's Harvest. And Harvest turned 50 this year. And uh, I love that album. I know it forwards and backwards. And I found out that Neil was releasing a 50th anniversary edition and got excited. It ultimately is five discs, three CDs, two DVDs. Although one of the DVDs is just the video version of one of the CDs. It's a live show from the BBC, so you get the video version and you get the audio version. It's kind of a repeat, but fine, whatever. The other DVD is kind of the making of, like, with footage from 1971, 72, when he was working on the album. The cats are fucking with my blinds again. Guys, doing a thing here. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Neil... Neil was good to you. The documentary is two hours long, and it's footage from the time of him listening to mixes and then playing the songs as a band. One of my favorite sort of throwaway moments in it that probably, like, a lot of people wouldn't even pay attention to, but it made me laugh hard, was they're listening to a playback, and Neil is clearly smoking a joint, and everybody else in the band just has hamburgers that they're eating and tapping their foot along to. And it's kind of like, All right, I guess they're done and he's starting. Uh, it was kind of, just sort of made me laugh. But the, uh, the stuff that you get in it, those two DVDs are great. But you get a new master of the Harvest album that is 
fantastic. I have multiple masters of this album anyway because I'm that guy. But uh, I, I put it in. I was working in my home office, you know, just sitting at my computer and thought, I'm going to put on the new master of, of Harvest and give it a listen. I'm sure it won't, you know, blow me away or anything because I know this album so well, but I should listen to the new master. And I listened to it. And it blew me away because it sounds so much better than all the other masters. It, I, I'm not going to say that it felt like a completely different album or anything like that, but it felt like an old friend came by and had some new stuff to tell you. That's, that's sort of what the new mix felt like. And again, you get the CD that's the BBC live show, and you get a CD of some outtakes from the album, which is really just three songs, but they're uh, three songs that really should have been on the album but weren't. And uh, they've kind of gone down in Neil history, and you know, I already have copies of them, but these are new new uh, versions of them, or not, I guess new mixes of them, and uh, a very welcome add to the collection. Uh, I mean, the 50th anniversary box may not be for everybody if you're a casual Neil Young fan, but if you don't have Harvest, you need a copy of Harvest, and I think the new mix is out there just on its own without the other stuff. I will say five discs and also a, a really good book and a poster and stuff that you can you know play with as well. Uh, less than half the price of the Beatles boxes that we've all been collecting for the past several years, some of which are very much lacking in extra material. Uh, Neil put out a box that admittedly is a little bit smaller in actual retail on your shelf. It's, it's you know, kind of compressed into a small box. But he put out a box with more content than some of the Beatles stuff that I have and love and have enjoyed collecting. Uh, it's half the price, half the price of that stuff. And, you know, Uncle Neil took care of us, or Grandpa Neil, really, took care of us. And uh, great album that has received a great new treatment, and as a huge Neil Young fan that everybody knows that I am, one of my favorite albums turned 50, and there's a new version out of, uh, of it out on the, on the shelves right now. How could I not talk about it? Check it out. Absolutely worth your time. 50th anniversary edition of Neil Young's Harvest. One of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. And that will do it for the music talk. Checkmates, thank you so much for hanging in there with me for this episode. It was fun for me. I liked yelling about Tolkien for a while, for a long while. Some of you probably even skipped that part and then were disappointed I didn't say more about Neil Young. But uh, look, not everything's for everybody, and that's 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 fine. Uh, even but uh, even in the midst of something not being for you, sometimes you find the parts that are for you, and that was very much my experience with Rings of Power. I guess that's the very short way of saying everything that I said for, like, what, 40 minutes or something? I don't... however long that was. Uh, sorry, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But, uh, uh, hey, a little bit of news for you. This is an episode that I enjoyed doing and that I wanted to do, but I'm really excited about the next episode, because the next episode is the return of the Fab 15. My brother and I got together and we, re we recorded an episode, and those episodes take a long time to edit, uh, because we tend to, tend to go on for a while, so I've got to trim it down. But uh, we recorded an episode and had a lot of fun recording it, and I'm editing it, not right now, but I'm editing it probably while you're listening to this or near to it. 
and it's going to be the next thing out. And that episode is the Fab 15 Songs by the Who. We're doing our Who episode, finally. We're doing the Fab 15 Who songs. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that talk. I think Dave did too, and I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit when you finally hear it. It's just uh, taken me a while to edit because we talked for a very long time, and there's a lot to clean up and a lot of sacrifices to be made to get it into a length that isn't uh, insane for the average listener. So, because uh, that's that's one of the things is I like in my heart I want to release the full talk in my you know pragmatic nature. Uh, if we go more than an hour and a half, that's pushing it, you know? And, like, this episode's gonna be pushing it. We're at an hour 19 right now. So I'm gonna wrap this one up, and I'm gonna get back to editing the Who one so that it's listenable for you. <laughs> and you're gonna have a good time when you hear it, because I really had a good time doing it, talking about one of my favorite things with my brother. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Fab 15 Who episode is the next one up. Watch your app of choice for that episode, or watch my social media, and I will definitely promote it there. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this, for putting up with my geek rage and all that stuff, and also hearing a little bit about music and a little bit about other stuff. So uh, thanks so much for your attention and for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, folks, please remember that uh, COVID-19 is still out there. People are still getting sick. People are still dying. It's still a big danger. Take every precaution that you feasibly can. Definitely get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated. Some of you still need to be social distancing. Some of you need to start masking for the first time. But I think if you're listening to this show at this point, you're smart enough that you've been trying. Um, yeah, please continue to take COVID-19 seriously. Apart from that, please remember that black lives matter. That LGBTQIA plus rights are human rights. That women's rights are human rights. And that I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. Be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. One pleasant surprise was Rings of Power didn't have any spiders in it. <laughs>